0: This is KMTT, Kimitzion Teitzay Torah, broadcasting from Gushetzion, and this is Ezra Bik. And today we have the Erev Shabbat program for Pashat Shemot. As a change of pace, we will begin with the Halakha Yomit. We've gotten up to P'sukei Dizimra. P'sukei is not mentioned explicitly in the Gemara at all. The source is found by combining two different uh, two different Gemarat, Calling now from the Riff in Bachot, who who does that work for us? The Gemara in Bachot states, the Riff quotes it. The Gemara in the fifth paragraph of Bachot says, the Olam Darash La'i. Yastir Adam shel Makom A person should always arrange the praise of God, and only afterwards pray, only afterwards daven. Yitpaleh. Minalan, From where do we know this? Min we learned from Hashem Rabbeinu in the beginning of Pashat Vetchanan, where Moshe, before he actually asked for what he wished to ask that he should be allowed to cross the Jordan uh, had a whole sentence where he said that God, you've done wonders for us and you've shown us your great hand he engaged in the praise of God so we learned that this is the proper way the proper arrangement to you don't just burst in and say what you want but first you arrange the praise of God, and afterwards and afterwards you pray. Now this statement could have been interpreted to refer to Shmonesrei itself, because the structure of Shmonesrei is three brachot of praise, the middle brachot are our requests, followed by three brachot which are called thanks or gratitude, although they're not exactly that, but that, that's the name which is given to them. So perhaps, even though it says here achakachit palel, but it means he should request things as Moshe Rabbeinu made made his request. Uh, but that's not what the Bif is going to say. The Bif then continues and quotes a Gemara from the first parak of Bachot. Amar Elazar Bar Avina Kol Haomer Tila David Bechol Yom Shloshah Pamin Lo Olam The Gemara there says it doesn't say you have to do this. It simply says anyone who says Tila David the Chapter from Tehillim, which we call Ashrei, but Ashrei is an introductory pasuk that's taken from elsewhere. It begins Tilad David, Rumi Chalakai, etc. He who says Tira David three times a day is guaranteed that he will merit Olam the world to come. Then of quotes a third gemara, a gemara in the Shabbat. Amar Rabbi Yosi. Yehei chelki Im halel b'chol yom. Rabbi Yossi said, I hope to be included in those who finish Hallel every day. The Gemara says that's impossible. It's awesome to read Hallel every day. He who says Hallel, a song of praise that indicates a special exaltation, a special reaction. You say it every day, you're making fun of it. You're you're blaspheming. So how could he say he wants to finish Halal every day? So the Gemara answers he didn't mean Hallel, what we call Hallel. He meant he He meant praise. What did he mean? Kika Here's where the phrase comes from. When he said I wish that my portion should be among those who complete praise, who complete Hallel every day, he meant the saying of psuke zimra. The Gemara says, what is that? David ad kol it's five parakim and Tehillim, Tehillah David, and the next five parakim, which begin Halaluka, until Kol HaNeshama Tarelka Halaluka. The Riff understands, he doesn't even say another word, he understands the combination of these three uh, sayings in Chazal, imply that one should say Pesuketism every day before davening. In other words, Rabbi Yossi said, it's a good thing to say Pesuketism every day. The Gemara said what that meant, Tehillah David, And the next five, Fakim. And a different Gemara said that once you have praise before one davens, put the two and two together, and you have the saying of Pesuket Zimra before one davens. Then the riff adds to that. (laughs) V'tekinu Rabanan l'meimah bracha mikamayo. The bracha, Baruch Sheamar, and Yishtabach, which are the two ends of Pesuket Zimra, aren't mentioned anywhere. They are simply found in the Sidurim including the city of the Rif, including all the city of the Gaonim. So that says, apparently, the Baban, once they were saying, okay, they also instituted a barakha before and then a afterwards. Umayni, baruch she'amar, So we've now constructed an entire element in in the daily davening. A general statement of Chazal that it would be a good thing to recite praises, and that it's important to have praise before one actually prays. From this we get to at least, at this moment, at this point, six particular pakim. And, once they said it so, they added a bracha before and then a bracha afterwards. And since that's the construction, the vif therefore draws a halachic conclusion. Therefore the vif says, once you begin, you're not allowed to interrupt you can't have any half until after Shemot Asrei. How did he do that? He he did a shortcut. He is saying that since you have a structure of Baruch Shama followed by Yishtabach, and they are the brachot on Psuket you can't interrupt, you can't have a half in the middle of Psuket Because then you, if it was just fakim of Tehilim, it wouldn't make a difference. But since there's a structure that's constructed by a bracha before and a bracha afterwards, you should not separate those two brachot by anything other than the thing to which they relate, namely Pesuketizimah. So therefore you can't be mafsik between Baruch Sha'amar and Yishtabach. You can't be mafsik between baruchu and Shemot right? because, basically for the same reason, Kriyat has a structure of brachot that surrounds it. So you can't be mafsik there either. That's a gemara, an explicit gemara in brachot. Between Bekot Kriyat Shema and Sheman you can't be mafsik because of another halacha that says we have to have smichut go'ulalit filah. You have to combine together Bekot go'el Israel and davening. And in Sheman of course, you can't be mafsik. So, putting all these things together, once you begin Bablok Shema, you can't be mafsik until after after Eswe. It's interesting that the Rambam who is very careful when he quotes a halacha to define it exactly, correctly. This halacha, he is totally loyal to its source in Shabbat. The Mamam in Hilchot Tephira Perek Zayin, halacha yudbet doesn't say one has to save Pesuketizimah. He says Veshivchu chachamim l'mi shekorri z'mirot m'sephetilim v'chol yom mitilal david at salfa sepha. Chazal chachamim praised he who Recites songs from Sefer Tilim every day, from Tiradah David till the end of the book, the five Hadalukas which follow Tiradah David. The Gemara in Shavis says that Rabbi Yossi said, I would like my portion to be among these people. I would like myself to be a person who says Sukkade Zivna every single, every single day. It's clear from the Gemara that most Jews didn't do it. It's clear that even Rabbi Yossi. He didn't necessarily do it. He hoped to do it. So the Raman says that means that Chazal have praised. We see in the Gemara a praise to someone who does that. yishtabach <laughs> The Raman says that this is the praise and the minag is to do it. V'kvar <laughs> nahagu. All Israel, all the Jews have a minag to in fact, say those fakim as well as psukim ifnehem We have hodo uh, and uh, Different psukim are added. And also afterwards, there's some extra psukim. And there's also a bracha beforehand and a bracha afterwards. So Ram is very, very careful. There is a minhag to say with its brachot every single day. This derives from the praise, from the the affirmation found in the Gemara to the to the idea of beginning one's day with praise before one actually gets to davening. The halachic nafkamina is what the bit says that there is an isur hefsek because the brachot were instituted. Therefore, one is not permitted. One should not be mafsek in the middle of in the middle of Sukkot uh, because you interfere. You cause a hefsek between Baruch which is connected to Yishtabach, Yishtabach at the end. It's quite clear from these sources that to what does Yishtabach belong? Yishtabach is the closing bracha of Suket not the opening bracha of what comes afterwards. Uh, the minig is that if uh, a chazin is beginning, sometimes a certain person is a chiy of Tadavin, that he's come a little bit late, but he'll make sure to start at Yishtabach. Uh, but in fact, Davin I mean, surely doesn't begin at Yishtabach. The Tzfidah Betzibur begins after Yishtavach. In fact, the Vambam says that explicitly. Vambam in Perek Chet, HaVach HaAlef says, Tepilat HaTibur Nishmat Hamid. And then afterwards, well, I turn the pages, the Vambam says, What is Tepilat HaTibur? Perek Tet. Tepilat HaTibur, kach hi, Vashach HaKol HaAim yoshvi, Meshliach Tibur yoreg vefnei haTibah veyomait baEmtsa HaAim hoMetkil veyomait HaKadish. And then he says, Baruch Hu. He says, the Labat Zibur begins when the Shvech Zibur goes and says Kaddish and then Baruch So, y- Yishtavach is connected to Baruch Shama and the P'sukei de zima, which is in between which is why one should not be mafsik in between those two things. Second Halacha which would follow from this. Suppose you didn't say P'sukei Dezima in the morning. You came late to Shul. The Halacha is that in order to be D'Avring with the Zibur it's more important than P'sukei de So, if you've come late and they're very up to Yishtabach, they're ready up to baruchu, So, one skips P'sukei Zimra, or one skips part of P'sukei Zimra, but even, even all of P'sukei Zimra, and one starts the Daven with the Tzibur from Baruchu, Tokot Berchut and Shmon Esraim. Can one say it afterwards? Since the whole idea of P'sukei Zimra, not merely the Baruch in Shabbat, which said, it's a good idea to do it every day, and not merely the Gemara in the first work of Baruchot, which said, it's very important to say Ashrei three times a day, but the Gemara in the fifth Bakabakhot, Bachot, which said that one should have praise and only then daven, so psukedizimah is only before davening. So there is a machloket, dispute among the poskim if one can say psukedizimah after davening. In other words, could one achieve what is stated in the in Shabbat, and perhaps ignore in the first Bechokah and ignore the uh, uh, that which is mentioned in the fifth Bechokah Bachot? Alach we pass and you can't do it. Meaning, you can surely say Fakim from Tielin, but you can't say the b'chot because if it's not the real psukah d'zimra, then the Bachot the b'chot levatela. So if one has not said psukah d'zimra, is it's possible and probably, it's probably advisable to say it afterwards. That's what's put down in the poskim, but without saying either baruch shema or yishtabach. In uh, in kabbalistic sources based on on the Ari, David was very, very, very much insistent on saying Pesuket and saying it exactly as it's written. These particular Prakim and no skipping. People influenced by the Kabbalistic sources will not skip. Even if they come late, they will say Pesuket and basically lose out on Tefilah uh, Sibur. That's against the poskim. There are people who, who follow the Kabbalah in this matter. Uh, for the same reason, or related reason, the said one should not say Pesuket even without the Brachot afterwards. If you have to say it in its proper place, you shouldn't change things around. So if you haven't said Kedizuma, you should not say this Pakim after after Esrei. Again it's also against the Poskim the Poskim recommend saying Pshidzima, but without the Baruch of Baruch Shamar or, or Yishtabach. That is today's Halakhayomit. Today is Chaf Tevet. And Chaf Tevet is the site. It's the Yom HaZikaron of the Rambam. It's the 801st year since the Rambam uh, died. So the Rambam was Nifta and Chaf Tevet 801 years ago. This Last year was the 800th year to the Rambam's death and there were a number of uh, conventions, and special meetings, special conferences devoted to it. So now we're starting the 801st year to the Rambam's death. It's hard to, uh, minim- to, to, to uh, overemphasize the importance of the Rambam. Uh, and of course there are different attitudes to the Rambam depending on whether one is primarily interested in the Rambam as a philosopher, the author of the Men of or the Rambam as the author of the Yad In either case, he's the greatest figure of the kind in the Middle Ages, and then after the Middle Ages. Just to give one small indication, one never gives a shi'a, I I teach a shi'a in yeshiva, it's almost impossible that there should be a shi'a, in which I won't mention the Rambam. In fact, if the Rambam doesn't say anything about the topic I'm talking about, that's also a topic. The Rambam is so central, he's so clearly involved in every single discussion, that the Rambam doesn't appear to say anything about the topic, then we'll discuss why he didn't. That's just one small indication of at least in Halakha and Talmud, the importance, the centrality of this figure, a man who indeed died 801 years ago. But it's possible to say that he literally is alive. Uh, His thought, his Halakha, his Sparim are as much present in the room, in my classroom, in my learning room, in the room I'm sitting in now, which is a room in the library in Shabbat HaRatzion, as though he had been born only 40 only forty years ago. Since today is the Rambam's site, we'll give him precedence We I want to say the first thing about the Pasha. The beginning of Pasha Tshemot, you have stories about the early life of Moshe Rabbeinu. There are basically three incidents. One is when he comes out and he sees the mitzvah hitting the Jew. Second story is when he sees two Jews fighting And he rebukes them. And the third story, a little bit later, after he flees to Midian, when he saves the daughters of Yitro from the uh, shepherds of Midian. I think most Mephashim understand these stories as showing us the personality of Moshe, that he was caring, that he was responsible. In other words, he had the qualities for leadership. It's connected to Moshe's role as a leader, as a king, as he who will take the Jews out of Egypt. The Rambam uh, explains the stories differently. The made his discussion of Nevoah, of prophecy, says that the first level of prophecy, he has ten levels of prophecy, the first level of prophecy is what we would call inspiration. It's called in many places in Tanakh, Ruach Hashem, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God fills someone to do great acts, to help others, to, to save people, to change the world, beyond what his normal amount of strength and, and perseverance would allow. When you suddenly have this this inspiration, and you're filled with 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 strength and courage and determination, that's called ruach Hashem, the spirit of God. The Rambam says that's the first level of prophecy. And then he goes on to give us example. His first example is the young life of Moshe Rabbeinu. You see, Moshe Rabbeinu took a walk in the street. He saw a Egyptian hitting a Jew, and he was just suddenly moved and inspired to interfere and to kill. To kill, the, to kill the Egyptian, showing strength that undoubtedly he didn't know that he had till then. Afterwards the second story, and similarly the third story, the Raman gives these as examples of the first level of prophecy, and apparently I believe the Raman is trying to say that that's the purpose of the stories as well. Understanding Moshe Rabbeinu not primarily as the political leader of the Jews, the Time of the Exodus, but Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher, Moshe who is... Adon Hannevi'im the master of all the prophets he who brought the Torah down and the earliest stories of Moshe's life illustrate the first level of his prophecy and the second level is in the next chapter when he meets the burning bush the sneh and God already speaks to him a higher level of prophecy the Ramam has an interest in Shalun HaMashe Rabbeinu grows in prophecy all the time According to the Midrash, Moshe Rabbeinu was a tiron b'nevuah. He was a novice. Tiron is used in the Hebrew as well. It's a Greek word meaning novice. Moshe Rabbeinu was in his early life, even when he was already a prophet, but he was a novice in prophecy, as opposed to his later years when he grew more and more. And the Rambam extends that one step backwards. Even before he was what we would call a prophet, hearing the voice of God, but he was filled with the Spirit of God, and that's the purpose of the first three parashiyot, the first three stories, in the beginning of uh, Sefer Shemot, the beginning of Pashat, Pashat Shemot. Also connected to the beginning of the Pasha, I once heard a in the name of Ephraim Shmulevitz, one of his Sichot Musa. The Medrish says that when Pharaoh decided to enslave the Jews because he was worried about them, the says three advisors, three sages were involved in the decision. Who were these three sages? Three sages were Yitro, Bilam, and Iov. Yitro and Bilam, we know that they were living more or less at this time. Yitro is in the Pasha, and Bilam is at the height of his powers. some some 40 years later. Eov, we don't know when he lived. He has no date in the book of Eov. And Chazal bring many different opinions as to when he lived, if he was in fact a historical figure at all. This Medrash assumes that he lived in the time of Yitzhak and And he was part of the, the council to whom Paro went, of wise men, to, uh, to consult before enacting the decrees against the Jews. The Medrash says as follows. That Yitro ran away. Didn't want to be involved. Bilam told Paro what to do. He gave advice against the Jews. And Eov was silent. He didn't leave. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. Sort of kept silent. And what happened... So Bilam, who counseled against the Jews, died. He was eventually killed by the Jews uh, in Sefer Bamidbar when they had the war against Midian. Eov, who was silent, was afflicted with the suffering. The book of Eov, the book of Job. All the sufferings of Job. And Yitro, who ran away, so he did well. He got to have Moshe Rabbeinu as his son-in-law. So Rav Chaim asked the question which he says, everyone is probably asking, why is he who was the worst of the lot, Bil'am, why did he die? Is Yov, who is at least one step better, suffered un- incredible suffering? Surely the suffering is worse than the death that afflicted, uh, that afflicted Bil'am. And Rav Chaim's answer was simply that the question is wrong. The question shows a misunderstanding of the Jewish value, of our value, and evaluation of the value of life. That to be dead is worse than to be suffering. And that's exactly what Chazal is saying here. If you sin a great deal, you're killed. If you sin less, then you're allowed to live. You're punished with suffering, but any amount of suffering, this is Lev Chaim's point, any amount of suffering still cannot overwhelm the value of being alive. Of having, of having Ruach Elochim, of having Tselam Elohim, that that's the extreme and most basic value in this world. And that's exactly what Chazal is trying to say in the, the trilogy, <laughs> the, the three stages and levels of sin and reward, which they describe in connection with the beginning of our Pasha, the consultation of Paro, how to bear down on the Jews and, and prevent there what he feared that they might do to him. At this point, I assume you're beginning to wonder who is going to be the guest for the Erev Shabbat program because the Erev Shabbat program, I promised there will be a guest. Here I've been going on for 22 minutes already and I have not yet introduced the guest for this Erev Shabbat program. Well, it's my fault. I had somebody and in the end he couldn't make it, it didn't work out and there was no backup. So we're going to have a shorter program than usual. What I'd like to do is before we quit... Is to simply, perhaps this will be a new, uh, a new little slot, in our weekly program. I'd like to look at some of the midrashim in the beginning of Parashat Shmot. Specifically, on why Moshe Rabbeinu got the job. I Already mentioned before that there's a common attitude, a common approach in many of the midrashim, to see the original stories in the beginning of. Pashat Shmot and Perek Bet to be indicative of why Moshe Rabbeinu got the job. He went out, he fought against the Egyptian oppressor. He showed justice, helped one Jew against another Jew, including the story where he helped the daughters of Yitro, not Jewish at all. But it shows that he was dedicated and committed to helping the oppressed, and these were important qualities for a leader. That's uh, that's one approach. My, my own personal opinion is to understand the original story somewhat differently. I think that what the stories are showing is not merely Moshe Rabbeinu's dedication to justice, but showing the element involved in his dedication. The first story, when Moshe Rabbeinu sees the Egyptian attacking the Jew, it's quite clear. What does the Pasuk say? It says that, Vayetzei El Echav, Moshe Rabbeinu went out meaning he went out from his Egyptian environment to his brothers he saw an Egyptian attacking a Jew from his brethren from his brothers in other words Moshe Rabbeinu's identification with the oppressed Jew was at least partially based on the fact that he was his brother I'm saying this as a compliment the first element in Moshe Rabbeinu's development was his identification with his own people. It's quite clear the first story is That's what he saw. He saw that one was his brother, and he saw the Egyptian attacking his brother, and that's why he reacted. The second story, that can't possibly be true. They're both his brethren, nor does the Pasuk mentioned the word Echav anymore. He saw two Jews arguing. Nitzim. La rasha. Here Moshe Rabbeinu is showing a sense of justice, not so much identification, but one of them is a rasha, and one is not. Chazal really ask, well, how do you know which one is the rasha? Previously, it says they were both fighting, not that one was picking on the other. They were they were arguing, they were fighting. Chazal answered the one who hit, the one who raised his arm to strike his brother, he was called the rasha. Rasha, Lama take. he who is matke, he who is striking is the Rasha. So here, Moshe Rabbeinu is being somewhat more neutral. He's not identifying with one side because he has a closeness to that side. That's prohibited to a judge. The judge has to be neutral. He is showing tzedek. He's showing justice. The third story, the story of the daughters of Yitro, they're not his brethren. He doesn't identify because they're close to him. It's not so much a matter of justice, it's a matter of saving them. They are being driven away by the the stronger men, shepherds of Midian. And Moshe Rabbeinu comes and saves them because he identifies here with the side of the weak. So I think that if already we're going to see these three stories as education stories in the life of Moshe Rabbeinu, the three points which Moshe had to had to absorb within the framework of Prince of Egypt was one, identification with his brother Jews, two, a sense of being able to judge his brother Jews, not being blind to what he sees, but to distinguish between one and the other. And three, a basic identification with the weak, irrespective of justice, irrespective of brethren, identification with the weak, and the desire and the ability and the commitment to save them. The Midrash has a different approach. The Midrashim that begin to ask, where does Moshe Rabbeinu come from, begin the next pack. The Moshe Rabbeinu meets God and gets his mission, gets his charge when he is already a shepherd and he is with the flocks and he comes to Hav Ha'elokim, which we know is Sinai, and there sees the burning bush. The begins with, Moshe was shepherding the flocks of Yitro. So there are a number of Medrashim which begin from that point. I'd like to read them and comment on them shortly. first Medrash says that God tests or checks a person who is going to be a leader first. And how did he check it? So the Medrash says, Medrash on the beginning of Shemot says, Hashem tzadik Yifchan, God tests the righteous. He tests them in shepherding. He tests them by seeing how does he take care of sheep. What what does that mean? So it gives two examples. Badak David Hamelach became king. From where did he come from? He came from the fields where he was a shepherd. What specifically does the Medrash think that he did so well as a shepherd? So this Medrash gives the following answers. It says, That David Melech was taken from the uh, confines, from the corrals, the corrals of the sheep. What does that mean? So it says like this, So it says like this, that David Melech had corrals for the sheep because he wouldn't let them graze freely. Why not? He had priorities. First, he would uh, bring the little, the young sheep so that they could get the, the choice, the soft grass, because they couldn't eat any other grass. Then he would take out the old sheep, the very old sheep. They could have the second Second class, second class of grass. And then he would bring out the young, healthy uh, 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 sheep, the rams, because they could eat the toughest, the toughest of the grass. <laughs> it was what what did David Melech show here? That he was able to distinguish between one, in this case, sheep, and another. Therefore, one person and another. And he gave to each one what he was able to bear. He 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 addressed each one according to his abilities. That's a very important feature for a leader, and that's what why David Melech was chosen. Same thing for more or less Moshe Rabbeinu. What happened with Moshe Rabbeinu? A very famous midrash, which I think we all learned in, 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 in elementary school. One time, Moshe Rabbeinu was a shepherd, and one of the uh, goats ran away. Uh, ran away from the rest of the flock, and. Uh, he came to a pool of water, and that's where the goat stopped. Shabenu Rabbeinu ran after him, went looking for him, finally found him, and then he said, Oh, he realized that the reason why he'd run away was because he was thirsty, therefore he realized also that he was probably weak. So he put him on his shoulders and he brought him back. If you can take care of the sheep of people, you can take care of my sheep, meaning meaning Israel. What have you done here? It's a different quality than that shown by David. It was Rachmanut, to take care of the single, poor, tired, weary individual. That's an important uh, attribute of a leader. Okay, that's the first Midrash. So, uh, being a shepherd is a chance to show the way you care for the individual sheep. David HaMelech cared for each one in a different way. And Moshe Rabbeinu, kid for the one single sheep, would actually run away from the flock. And Moshe Rabbeinu ran after him, took care of him, understood why he had run away, and carried him on his shoulders. The idea of of bearing him on his own shoulders, that the leader has to carry the load and and the burden of the people. Okay. Then there is another midrash which starts from the same point of view, the point of view of being a sound, but comes to a totally different answer as to what the quality of the ro'eh, of the shepherd, is. דבר אין נותן God does not give uh, greatness to a man until he checks him on something small. Then he lets him do the same thing on a grander scale. Two people were checked with a small thing, namely sheep. And then they passed the test and God made them into great leaders. Who are the two? The two people again, David and Moshe. It's, it's closer to the Pshat. It's a Jewish, but it's closer to the Pshat of the Pasuk. What did he do? When he was a shepherd he went out to the Midbar. Midbar doesn't mean a desert where we think, a total desolate place, huh? the Gobi Desert. The Midbar is the borderline area in Eretzhar, not where people live and plant, but further out. In, in the wintertime, it rains everywhere, and the sheep are able to graze in, in many, many sections because there is rain. And but the point is, you're not, you're not uh, using areas which are being farmed by anybody else. So David HaMelech used to take his flocks way out into the Midbar in order to avoid any possibility of stealing because the food that the sheep would eat might well be private property. And uh, we know this because it says so in Shmuel explicitly that um, he had been out in the Midbar. You skip David HaMelech and get to Moshe it's the next pasuk he was a shepherd for the uh, the flocks of Yitro and he took them to the Midbar why does it tell us they took him to the Midbar so the is because that's where he's going to meet the burning bush because Hasina is in the Midbar but the Midrash says that no, the fact that he went to the Midbar in order to avoid any possibility of stealing that was the point which God said, you are worthy of being of being a leader. It's a totally different point. It's not a condition of leadership that one is able to take care of the weak or to do justice or to do those things which a leader has to do. No, it's a condition of leadership. Because leaders could be tempted, there's a tendency for power to corrupt, for them to take advantage or to steal or to some other ways take advantage. And God says, well, the Moshe Rabbeinu will succeed in that. God will help him. But it's a precondition of his leadership that he not be the kind of personality who would take advantage of whatever leadership role he'd be given of the power and and, uh, position that he gets over other people. And that has has to be taken care of first. Then you're worthy of being the leader of Israel and therefore directly from taking care of the sheep in the desert, Moshe Rabbeinu moves to meeting God, and God tells him, I am sending you to Mitzrayim, I'm sending you to Egypt, because you will bring my people out of Egypt. That's all for today. Hope you have a very pleasant and wonderful Shabbat. I have a special fondness for Shabbat Parshat uh, Shemot, because it's my Mitzvah Shabbos. In fact, my birthday, like the outside of the Rambam, is Chav Tevet. You should have a Shabbat Shalom, I'm going to close with again a piece of music for Shabbat. I hope you enjoy it. We will get together again on Monday. Monday's she will be Rav, by Rav Yair Khan who will deliver another installment of his shiurim on Hilchot Brachot based on the Gemara in M'sachet Brachot the 6th sixth, the sixth pack. Until then, Shabbat Shalom Rechol This is KMTT כי מציון תצאי תורה ודבר השם בירושלים.